that word picture, right? You know, when you're driving in the car, for everyone who can drive in the room, even if you don't drive, you still understand this. When someone's driving, the basic key to driving is staying in your lane. Don't swerve to the left. Don't swerve to the right. Don't be looking on Twitter. Don't be texting when you drive. <laughs> Just stay in your lane. And so that's what this text is telling us to do as Christians. And so let me get to the, the two points, tell them, tell you what they are, and then I'll ex- we'll explain them. So, like I said, stay in your lane. Number one, we can stay in our lane um, by not speaking evil against other believers. And then number two, we can stay in our lane by not judging our neighbors. So let's go to the first point. Do not speak evil of your brothers. And if you're taking notes, that's the first point. So I get that directly from verse 11. It says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And so this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's speaking to Christians, telling the Christians, don't speak evil of other Christians. We're on the same page? Okay, great. And so... You know, we ask ourselves, well, what does it mean to speak evil, right? Well, that can include speaking evil about someone behind closed doors, via text, phone call, a tweet, a Facebook post, a direct message. And I know, like, even as we read the verse, right, where it says don't speak evil, it's it's just like, wait, that's even almost weird to say. It goes without saying. It almost seems like just complete, perfect common sense to never speak evil about anyone. I think that's what we'd all say in this room. And so the thing is, so what does it mean to speak evil? Because if the the more we understand it, the more we can see, wait, have I been doing it or have I not been doing it? Well, to speak evil, I looked it up in the Greek, and it basically means to speak evil. Uh, Say something bad about somebody else. Then you look at it in English, says pretty, pretty, pretty much the same thing. So that's gossiping, that's slander, that's speculating, that's demeaning another person. That even includes, because, you know, it's, it's a little weird, right? Um, we, we, we come to church and it's like, hey, we got to treat everybody one way. But then when you go home, it's like, do I have license to treat my spouse another way? So if your spouse is a Christian, it's saying you can't do that with them either. So regardless of the setting that you're speaking evil against someone, it is wrong. And so I know there's a few people that might be like, ah, I don't really do that. Maybe you're like me. I don't even have social media. So I can can say, hey, (laughs) Carrie, you're not talking to me. I don't have social media, so I don't talk bad about anyone on social media. Um, But. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, To speak evil against another person, let's look at it from a different vantage point. Jesus gives us very specific directives on how to speak to people. And if we do anything outside of the directives Jesus has given us on how to speak towards other people, that's sin. That's speaking evil of someone else so our text it's i mean it's very in your face language it says do not meaning like avoid at all costs speaking against another believer so the natural question is i the nat here's the natural question 
what if, what if another Christian does me wrong? How dare another Christian do me wrong, right? What should I do in turn? Well, you know, that question, it's, it's the equivalent of asking for a hall pass to treat evil with evil, right? Right? Y'all with me? Right. And so um, we're not alone. Jesus, he experienced this. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, one of the most popular instances is Jesus is like with Peter. And he's like, hey, Peter, I'm going to tell you in advance, just so you know, you're going to betray me. Like you're going to verbally betray me. Peter's like, nah, man, what are you talking about? Jesus, I'm all about you. And he's like, I'm telling you. Matter of fact, you're going to do it three times. And Peter does. He does it. So, same question. How should Jesus treat that? This man is following you. He says he's all about your agenda. He says he loves you. But the moment he's, he's put in the public eye and he has to stand in defense, he's like, I'm I don't know that man. In the, in the text, it, it basically says he, like, curses it. Too. He's like, I do not know that man because he's trying to save his skin. And so the same question for us is, hey, how should I treat someone when they do me wrong? Well, you go to uh, Romans, which we just recently studied, and Jesus tells us exactly how to deal with a person that does us wrong. I'll read it. Romans 12, verses 17 and 19. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Then 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So like those two verses basically are telling us avoid speaking evil against Christians at all costs. So the next natural question is, well, hey, what if I saw them doing something evil or seems like something evil? How do I handle it um, then? Or excuse me, this is the question. What if another Christian seems to just flat out dislike me, right? And they're just treating me in a mean way. How do I handle that? Well, in Luke 6, 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So Jesus is making it very clear on how we should treat believers. There's no room to speak evil against anyone. And so here's the question I was mentioning earlier. Uh, but, but what if we did see the, the Christian do something evil? Does that then mean we should go and start telling other Christians, hey, I saw this Christian doing this? Or you even try to turn it into a prayer request. Hey, let's gather for prayer. You know, I saw such and such, you know, they, here's what they did. You take seven minutes to explain it, and then you take maybe 15 seconds. All right, let's pray about it. You know what I mean? Um, 
yeah, that, that's not the way to go. Um, you see, there's a subtle temptation that I think we can have at times, myself included, to kind of feel like we're um, spiritual police, right? And we need to go around and, you know, keeping tabs so we can tell people, hey, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. Um, but that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility, it was given to us very specifically on how to treat someone um, if, if they do wrong against us or if we see wrong in general. But just to, just to further the point, if you go to James 5, verses 19 to 20, he, James tells us what to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you see somebody doing something wrong, something that looks off, just, this is the word of God. This is as, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back, a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death. If your brother sins against you, go privately and point out your sin. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. So that's the aim. That's the aim. If someone does you wrong, you can just go talk to them in private. Take them out to Starbucks, right? You, you pay the tab. You know what I mean? That'll soften the, the conversation some. And then you tell them what's on your mind. Hey, listen, um, you said this, and I'm not sure what you meant. You don't want to accuse, right, right away. You can ask the question. Hey, you said this. I didn't quite understand what you meant. Can you please explain that further? Give the person an opportunity to speak on their behalf. And then, and then once you do that, let's say they did do wrong and they confess it, well, hey, you just call them right back. So you could even use James 4.10. It says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And that's, that's the aim for all of us, is to humble ourselves before the Lord, knowing that he will exalt us. So James is saying, Matthew 18 is saying, the point is to restore. If somebody does you wrong, you restore the relationship. And, and you restore it by saying, hey, listen, you did this. It hurt. I felt this way. Um, I just want to let you know. Hopefully the person apologized. And in Matthew 18, it gives us further instructions. Let's say the person isn't willing to yield to that, whatever evil they did. Then it gives us step-by-step instructions how to continue um, the, the manner to, to restore them back. So God makes it very clear he wants us to be together. He wants us to be unified as a believing woman um, for a baby dedication. Well, I see the woman come up, but she does the weirdest thing. Usually, like, the baby, he had a nice little cute outfit. He was like five, six months old, and, and she was like 19, 20, and, um, you know, normally what people do is they get up on, well, she was on a stage, but she was right in the front center, and, you know, you turn the baby around and, like, let everybody see so you can take some pictures for Instagram, all that good stuff, but she doesn't do that. She just turns and faces the pastor, and I'm like, this is, I've never seen a baby dedication done like this before. I'm thinking to myself, like, why? Like, what's going on? Even though the picture itself kind of gives, you know, a little intel as to what's going on. Well, um, the pastor goes and prays for her. And as he prays, he basically says, God, Lord, we're praying for this woman who is a recent immigrant into the country and she had this child out of wedlock. God, help this woman. It's going to be difficult. Amen. 
Well, he finishes his prayer, and I'm just, like, flabbergasted, right? Um, and I, I even try to, like, kind of read the room once the prayer is done, because I was like, am I the only one that, that thought that was a little off? Well, the, no one in the room seemed to, to mind. But um, just culturally, it's a little different. In, in, in the Haitian culture, you can get pretty direct with someone, like, really direct, but it's like, it's known without saying that you're not trying to harm them. But here's the thing, even though uh, what he, he, he had no harm behind it, but it just goes to show you just a little hint of speaking evil, how harmful it could be, because I wasn't in her position, but it, those words can really hurt even though there was no ill intent behind it. And so it just reminds us to be um, very careful with our words, especially to believers. So Jesus speaks more about how we should speak to believers. This question comes to mind. Um, you know, when we speak evil against another believer, there's that question, wait, if, if this person says they're Christian and they're talking about this other Christian, why follow Jesus? Like, is, there, is Jesus worth following? Well, Jesus speaks on that. John 13, 35. This is the New Living Translation. Jesus says, you, excuse me, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus is, is teaching us to be very, very precautious with our words and then moreover how we treat believers so that way we can be a good profession of faith to God's love. So verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. First of all, let's assume, let's assume if somebody's a Christian, let's assume that God is refining them, right? He's refining them. You, you ever seen gold being refined? You know, there's, there's a, what's called dross that has to be removed from it so that that way you can see the pure and beautiful gold. Let's assume that God is doing that with other Christians. And so as a result, that means we can extend grace to them rather than wanting to speak evil to them. Um, number two, if we do witness a Christian doing something that is just downright evil, we actually have a responsibility, according to this passage, to speak to them. Not speak about them, but speak to them. Take the time to talk to that people and call them, call them back to Christ. Call them to, to who Jesus is and how Hey, you remember how you gave your life to Christ? You remember how you surrendered to him? You remember how you said that what he says matters more important than what you say? I'm calling you back to that. Then number three, um, Jesus is not neutral at all about our words. He has a very specific intent on how we should speak to each other. We actually uh, said it in our corporate scripture reading. Colossians 4, verse uh, 5 and 6, it says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So whether someone's Christian or not Christian, let our words be gracious and attractive to everyone so that way we honor God and we show the love of Christ. So, friends, do not 
speak evil against a brother or a sister in Christ. In other words, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Don't speak evil about Christians. You don't want to be the Christian that's swerving into another lane to judge all people. So if you're taking notes, the second point is do not judge our neighbors. Do not judge our neighbors. Now, I pulled that from uh, verse 12, the, the beginning sentence. It says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Well, the, the, the natural question is, like, who's our neighbor? You know, it, it means it literally, my neighbor who's, like, next door to me. But it also means it in a broad sense it, to encompass Christians and non-Christians alike. We have no room to judge. And so the, the, the question is judge. What does that mean? Well, we, we know what it looks like. You know, if you ever watch Judge Judy, she's sitting there with a gavel and she's, you know, banging it down and she's telling this person they're innocent and she's telling that person you're not innocent. She, you know, the, the, the way the TV angles even show it, she has authority to say what needs to be said. Well, when we judge our neighbor, it's kind of acting like you're Judge Judy. You know, it's like, hey, I have the authority to, to hit the gavel to tell you you're wrong, and as a result, you deserve this. But then this person, I think you're right, so you deserve this. We don't have that kind of authority. So to help us unpack that, I just want to look at the two words it says um, in verse 12. It says that there is one lawgiver and then one judge. Let's look at the lawgiver part. We know the job description of a lawgiver. A lawgiver's job is to write law and then give law. And God did that for us. You got the first commandment. I didn't, I didn't write them all down, but we could probably take our time and, and, and quickly think about all of them. But number one, love the Lord your God with all heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't covet. And then Jesus, he hits the scene and he, he just summarizes it. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus says, hey, the way, to, the way to think about those Ten Commandments, just think of it like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. And so it doesn't take much time to study or ponder to think about that those laws are perfect, there's zero flaw in them. There's not a dot of imperfection. So when we speak evil or try to judge someone, in essence, we're trying to judge God's law and say it has imperfection in it. I'll say that again. So when we try to speak evil against a Christian or we try to judge our neighbor, in essence, we're we're saying God's law has imperfection. And worse than that, it's an attempt to judge the lawgiver. And that, that's a whole different bag of beans of problems, to judge the lawgiver. It's like saying to the lawgiver, who is God? Hey, God, listen, I got some laws that are, I think, better than yours. Hey, God, I understand you got some laws, but... I kind of want to follow these, but I, I don't want to follow that. Or, actually, you know what, God? I have better decision-making than you altogether as far as laws are concerned. 
So that's basically us trying to play God, and we need to avoid that at all costs. So we got to stay in our lane. Remember that driving illustration? We got to stay in our lane. Um, here's, here's another story. Um, on my 30th birthday, I went to Haiti uh, on a missions trip. And um, it, was, it was really special for me to do. Hey, I'm 30. Um, that was my first mission trip. Well, when I get there, um, we get on the plane, and then we get to this one destination, and then there's this hill. And uh, these, these, uh, the, the, the tour guides, they're like, hey, you got to get on the back of this motorcycle in order to go to the next destination where we're staying. And um, I look at the motorcycle, and it's a male driver. So I said, no, I'm not getting on the back of that bike. Well, they said, no, you need to get on the back of that bike. Well, I said, no, I'm not getting on the back of that bike. I'll just walk. Well, once again, so the culture is different than American culture. Like, they got very aggressive with me, but, like, nice at the same time. Like, you're getting on the back of that bike. And I'm like, you don't know me. I'm not getting on the back of this bike. I'm t- Well, we went back and forth a little bit, and, and um, my mom uh, was actually leading this mission trip. So she's like, no, Carrie, you got to get on the back of the bike. And um, so, I, so I, was like, I was like, no. And I had, like, Crocs on. And uh, I say that just because they're not good walking shoes. And so, I, like, I start trying to trek my way you know, up this hill, and um, so it, the incline just kept getting steeper and steeper and steeper, and meanwhile, <laughs> the male motorcyclist guy is, like, slowly kind of riding <laughs> next to me and stuff. I'm like, man, it's getting hot, you know, my feet hurt, man. So uh, before I tell you what I did, before I tell you what I did, I just want um, to just get at a point. Who am I to be an American come to Haiti and I'm going to tell these people who've lived there almost all their lives what they should do with me as far as transportation is concerned. You know, th- I would say that's not fair. I would say that's unwise. I would say it, it cr- is going to cause a lot of pain and agony, and it did. Um, so I, I, got, I, got, I got on the bike. <laughs> I, got, I got on the bike. I got on the bike. And uh, check this out, though. The, the, the hill only got steeper. Turns out it's a mountain. Turns out you got to go like three or four miles. And then there's like a whole city. And, uh, you know, I get there and, you know, it was, it was just one of those like strong life lessons that's like, man, you know, maybe one day I'll share that story. Well, today's the day. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even though that story is funny, it's actually very, very, very similar to what Eve does with God back in Genesis, right? We know Genesis. God told Adam, hey, don't eat of the fruit. And then Adam tells Eve, hey, don't eat of that forbidden fruit. Well, you know, Satan comes and tells Eve, hey, why don't you eat of that forbidden fruit? And then he tries to give a compelling argument as to why she should eat of this fruit. And then she tells herself, you know what? Hmm. Hmm. I think I know what I should do. I think I know a little bit better than God on this one. So I think I'll do it. And so we know what happens. She eats of the fruit, and God has a direct conversation with her. 
So the point I'm, I'm making is that it's actually very, very, very dangerous territory to try to have authority in order to speak to the law or to speak to the law giver. We don't have that authority to cast law on people and say you've done right or you've done wrong and therefore you deserve this final judgment. We do not have the authority to say that we're the lawgiver. You know, I think about Job. Who was there with God when he set the mountains and then he gave the sea its landmark and he says you cannot go any further than here. Who was with God at those times? No one. So the point I'm making is that we don't have room to tell God, hey God, your law isn't good enough. I know better than you. See, our text tells us God is not only a lawgiver, but he's a judge. And he's not just your ordinary average judge. We think about the average judge today who sits in a, in a room and he basically hears evidence and then he says, hey, listen, based on the evidence, you're wrong or you're right. You rarely, rarely, it'll make the national news if a, if a judge is in a room and he says, hey, you did a mountain of wrong, but I'll declare you right. As a matter of fact, it'll, it, it'll make the news not because of him being a nice guy, but it's just like, he needs to get fired. What kind of judge says you did a mountain of wrong, but I'm going to declare you right? Well, see, God, this is the kind of judge he is. He knows we've done wrong, but he's willing to declare us right when we repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. So all those things that we've said, you know, um, when, when you were five, when you were six, when you were seven, and, your, you know, your parents made you wash soap out of your mouth because they, they were trying to tell you, hey, what you just said is wrong. All of those sins from five and up to 23 to 42 to however long you live, there's a pile of it. And Scripture says, my sins pile up so high I cannot see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. Yeah, I thought about that joke, but I was like, no, this is serious. I want to stay on track. But y'all, y'all saw it. Y'all saw it. There, there's hairs. It's just very, very, it, it's, they're very tiny. Um, uh, but, but the point I'm making here is that we have a pile of sins and we, we have no way to make amends for them. So based on the kind of earthly judges we see, God should hold us accountable and, and we deserve damnation from him, but he does not do that. Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the man who was born of a virgin, Jesus Christ, who, who lived a sinless life, Jesus Christ, who came specifically to die for our sins, anyone who places faith in that man, that man who says he's not a man, he says he's God and man, anyone who places faith in that man, according to this text, you will be saved because it says that God has the power to save and destroy. And the text tells us he's going to save you. Save. That means that the, the mountain of those words that you've said, that you've regretted, that, that have hurt you and hurt others, 
have you hurt your parents, your siblings, your spouse? All those words can be completely forgiven because God saves through his son. Man, that's good. Man, that's good. It reminds me a little bit of a, a, a Marvel uh, show. Um, there's a character. He goes, he goes into like this purgatory situation. And then as he's there, the person, he, he walks into this room and there's this person that's like, hey, this is a stack of paper. These are all your words. And so the guy says, what? And then the guy types. And the next you know, there's a new sheet of paper that says what? And then he says something else. Well, and then there's a new sheet of paper, new sheet of paper, new sheet of paper. Well, imagine that with, with us and God. We just have mountains of words that we said. That's not even accounting for our actions. But meanwhile, God can eliminate those because of faith in his son. So the point I'm trying to make here, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it all I got. I'm laying it all on the line to say that God is a good judge. That's the point I'm making. He's a good judge, so he's worthy to follow. So if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, today is the day to do that. It's simple. You just say this, God, you know, just like Carrie said, I have that, that mountain load of paper with wrong words, and then I have a mountain load of actions with wrong words, and, and, and I'm going to continue to have them. And God, I have no way to make it right before you. God, please make me right with you. Through your son, Jesus, that's what you say in your word. And God, I want to put faith and trust in that today. And he will. And that's important to do because on the flip side, it says God has the power to destroy. Well, when we look up destroy in Greek, it means destroy. It just, it just means destroy. And, and here's the thing. Um, what, what is going to be destroyed? What, what destroying is happening? Well, it's talking about the soul. And, and if you go to the gospel, Jesus says over and over um, that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and hell. So we just want to be right with God so that our soul won't be destroyed, like it says in our text. So we're going to, we're going to, uh, we've been driving, right? And what did I say? What did I say? That's it. We're on the same page. Stay in our lane. So um, we're about to land the plane, so to speak. We're about to take the car. We're going to, you know, we're, we're getting off the highway. You know, here's, here's where we're, we're landing at. If you have not put your faith in Christ, first of all, get that done today. There's plenty of people in the room who can help with that, myself included. You got Kobe. You got Alex. You got Kate Chapman. I can go on and on and on of the list of people in this room, but there's people who can help you get right with God today, so do that. But now, um, to, to us believers in the room, who are we to judge our neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor, as it says in verse 12? It goes back to the first point, um, we cannot assume wrong of Christians. God is refining them. He's refining them. So what they look like in year three of salvation is going to look different than year 12 in, in year 19 and so on and so forth. So as a result, we got to give grace. Secondly, our neighbor. You know, 
if we, we, we did a survey and we talked to all of y'all in the room and, and we asked like, hey, tell me like a crazy salvation story. Like, give me a, a, a story that someone, someone you thought like would never, ever, 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 like ever know Christ. Well, a lot of us would have a story like that where it's like, man, you know what? Such and such, man, like they were like, they were gone. They were deep. They were out there. But all of a sudden, they're following God now. I say that to just point out the fact that we don't have room to judge our neighbor because we don't know ultimately where our neighbor will land. So if anything, we should be praying for our neighbor and hopeful for our neighbor because God can save, he, he likes to save, and he will save. So once we don't have room to judge a celebrity neighbor, a neighbor across the street, a coworker neighbor, so on and so forth. So let us not speak evil against others, specifically Christians. Let us not judge our neighbor. In other words, stay in your lane. Let me pray. Father, um, Lord, I pray that you use this word. Um, there's so much more that even could be said, but, but Lord, uh, I just pray that that you just help us to remember to um, stay in our lane, to respect you, and to love you, and as a result of our love for you, to love people, um, people who don't look like us, people who might not act like us, um, because of, remember, Lord, um, that you first love us, and that's why we can love people. We ask for these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.